Hey y'all, welcome to Shelf Life, a podcast where I, Nicole Barbosa, chat with some of the coolest people in publishing about the wonderful world of books. In each episode, my guest and I will chat all about their book, Real or Imaginary, and then place it on a shelf alongside other authors and books that inspire them. Great literature frozen in time. It's definitely one for all the bibliophiles. In today's episode, I have the enormous privilege of chatting with author Julia Phillips. Her debut novel, Disappearing Earth, was published in May 2019, and even before its release, was on dozens of must-read lists for 2019. It's no surprise that Disappearing Earth was a National Book Award finalist and is considered a nearly flawless novel by the New York Times. The book, set on Kamchatka, a Siberian peninsula in Far East Russia, begins with the abduction of two sisters. Weeks go by and the police are unable to find the young girls and their disappearance is greatly felt by the community on the peninsula, particularly its women. The chapters, titled by month, feature the different women who have direct and indirect connections to the missing sisters. And although these women share a fear and loss, each story is beautifully unique and each character stays with you long after the story is first told. I absolutely loved Disappearing Earth and had the best time talking with Julia about my favorite chapters, what inspires her writing, and learning about her experience as a Fulbright scholar, which allowed her to live and study in Kamchatka. A magical episode that I hope you enjoy. I am here with the amazing Julia Phillips, who has written one of my favorite books of 2019 and quite possibly of all time. Julia, how are you today? I'm so great. I'm so glad to be here talking with you. Uh, Virtually here, we're talking with you. Yeah, yeah, even if we can't physically be together. Yes. So what I want to do is uh, talk about your incredible book, Disappearing Earth, which came out May 2019, which we're coming up to a year, which is fantastic. I saw your book in Parnassus Books in Nashville, which is one of my favorite bookstores, and it was very proudly displayed in the front when I was visiting in May. And I just remember not only thinking that the cover was just striking and that it was certainly something that I wanted to judge in a good way by its cover. I just wanted to ask, coming up to the year anniversary, did it start becoming real for you when you sat down to write it, or did it take a little bit longer for everything to feel like this was actually going to happen? <laughs> I, I think I'm still having trouble believing that this is actually happening. It, whenever I talk about the book, experience I find that I just use the same word over and over again I always say oh it's like a dream this is like a dream you know it's so dreamy it's it's a dream come true and I think I keep saying that because truly I do expect that I'll wake up at some point and that this will all have been a sort of fantasy is so miraculous to me that the book is out in the world as a physical object and that people can pick it up and read it I still think of it as a manuscript in my notebooks or on my computer. And so many of the opportunities I've had over the past year have been things that I saw in other people and admired and hoped for. Um, I hoped for the opportunity to you know, meet readers or I hoped for the opportunity to sign a book or I hoped for the opportunity to have a bookstore event. And now that those things are happening, it, it's hard to absorb. It may have came out in 2019, but I only read it in January of this year. And as I mentioned to you when I messaged you on Instagram, it quite honestly, and I'm not being an American over-exaggerating, it was <laughs> quite honestly a hypnotic dream so magnificent that it physically hurts to wake up from it. And I found myself being extremely selfish with my time and that I didn't want it to end, but I also wanted to read as quickly as possible so I could 
take these journeys with these characters. I was wondering if you could please tell listeners what your absolute dream of a book is about. A book is a novel. It's about the disappearance of two young girls from a remote peninsula in Russia called the Kamchatka Peninsula, and then how that disappearance affects the community around them, especially the women and girls around them. So it starts with their disappearance. That's not a spoiler. (laughs) And um, it follows a year in their investigation, but it really casts a wide scope and looks at all sorts of different people, some of whom are very close to the girls who disappeared, some of whom are very far and maybe have never met the girls or don't think about them, and yet all of whom are connected to this case. And I think that's one of the reasons that I so quickly found myself connecting with your book, because there is an array of beautiful female characters to connect with, to learn from, to listen to, to follow their path. And even though we follow everyone's path in terms of each chapter is so cleverly designed out by month of the disappearance. And by the time we get to July at the end, it's been a year. And it made me think about when I learned how you spent a very uh, important year of your life as a Fulbright fellow in Russia's uh, Kamchatka Peninsula, where you actually set the book. And I was wondering if you could tell us about this experience and journey that got you to your book, because not everyone has the opportunity to travel so far and to be in the place where they set their book. That's one of the great things about fiction. You can kind of take us as far or as close as you want to go, but you don't always go yourself. Um, And I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about this experience. Absolutely. Yeah, it was the greatest experience of my life and and such a gift to be able to do. I'd always wanted to be a novelist growing up, but I was also really interested in studying Russian, Russian language. I studied, you know, fiction and Russian in college, for example, and I wasn't quite sure how to combine these two interests. So finally, I thought, well, if I set a book in Russia, then I can move to Russia to research it and then, you know, continue my language studies and keep on scratching this intellectual itch and develop what I hoped would be my career, um, this creative passion. So I decided that I wanted to set a book in Kamchatka where I had never been and which is quite hard to get to. It's it's on the Bering Strait, so it's by Alaska, and it doesn't have any roads that connect it to the rest of the country. It, it, you can only access it by air or by sea. It's really very, very distant from, you know, Moscow, where I'd spent time before from Western Russia. But I thought, it, you know, if this is a dream, I'm going to dream big. <laughs> I'd, li- I'd love to go to this place. I'd love to write a book there, even though I've never been. So I ended up applying uh, for a couple years for this Fulbright grant, which was an extraordinary, it's a government grant here in the U.S. that funds all sorts of different projects. But one thing it funds is, um, is creative writing projects. It'll, it'll fund you for a year to live abroad and research a book of fiction, which is just huge, absolutely huge. And I applied a couple of years in a row. I ended up getting it the second year and being able to move to Kamchatka and start working on this book, although I knew very little at that point what this book was going to be about, besides the fact that it was going to be placed there. And it was just so educational and challenging and beautiful and life-changing for me to be there. I was just wondering, you know, kind of in your own reading and perhaps through your research, what do you think it is about traveling to another country and being part and being immersed 
into a new community that really captivates us so much? That's a great question. And I think I can only answer for myself personally. By traveling to Kanchaka, for me, it was a kind of a very long shortcut to take to cultivate some of the qualities that I love and I'm chasing in writing that I think lots of folks, incredibly talented people, are able to bring to their home surroundings or to their, you know, when I think about Marilyn Robinson or when I think about Alice Monroe and people writing about the places where they were born and raised with such open eyes and attention to detail and keen powers of observation, for me, it has been hard to bring those qualities to places or settings that I'm used to. And it's easier to remind myself to pay attention when I'm in a situation that is new to me, rather than being in a situation that I, I'm already familiar with and reminding myself to pay attention there. It's, it's harder to maintain that quality of attention for me. And it's something I'm working on trying to practice now because I think it's so essential to immersive fiction. Going to Kamchatka helped me a lot in sustaining that quality of attention, quite literally paying attention to every word because I'm not a native speaker of Russian. And as a student of the language, I had to use a lot more brain power to think and speak and listen to people than I usually do. Being there for a limited time was really helpful. All of these things, I don't think one needs to go to Kamchatka to strengthen those qualities, or maybe you already have those qualities, but I was weak in all of those. And so going there helped me a lot. I love that. And what's great about your book is that even if I didn't know that you had done that scheme, it feels so effortless in how well you did your research and how well you captivated those voices and and brought us to this peninsula that quite honestly I probably will never see unfortunately and quite honestly not a lot of people will and what I find really interesting is you literally went as far as you could to captivate this story and yet the first line of dialogue of your book which is uttered by Leona who is one of the girls who goes missing, she says, don't go any further to her sister Sophia while they're on the beach. And I honestly kept this line in my head as I was reading the book pretty much the entire time, because for me, that phrase, you know, only four words, but you know, don't go any further, really applied to so many aspects of the book, so many woven themes and sub-stories within the book saying to the police, don't go any further with your investigation because you won't like what you find. But the boundaries is woven so well within this story that it was almost like, how can I muster the courage myself to go further with this book? Because I feel such an enormous sense of responsibility to read this story with as much thoughtfulness and as much knowledge that you give the reader, which is just so wonderful. And I was wondering, when you were creating this world, this mythical, beautiful world that we have in front of us as readers, for your characters and both for the place itself, how did you think about how far you really wanted to go with the paths of your characters and how you wanted to build out this story. I think one of the things that is particularly interesting to me about Kamchatka, where the book is set, and generally interesting to me in all of our lives, are the boundaries that we're working with both the obstacles in ourselves or in our personal lives or in our social circles, and also the obstacles that are in the outside world that 
shape the paths that we can take. Kamchatka is a particularly interesting place for these ideas to be played out because it's highly boundaried. It was a closed military territory for most of the 20th century, and it has very little infrastructure on it. So there are few roads, um, no train tracks. It is a place that is at once incredibly open and beautiful and rich and also quite difficult for even the people who live there to access all that beauty and richness. It's hard to move around. It's hard to navigate. You know, a lot of people living, for example, in the capital city of Kamchatka who have never been and perhaps will never go to central Kamchatka or to northern Kamchatka because it is just quite difficult to move around. I think that was an engaging and fascinating quality of the setting for me because everyone is working with limitations and boundaries. And and when I say everyone, I mean everyone in the world. Like all of us, we do the best we can with what we have, with the room that we have. But looking at writing through what those constraints are around us or, or how much room different people have or who has more freedom and who has less freedom. Those are very interesting things, I think, to read about and certainly to write about. It's not necessarily just about the boundaries that we set ourselves, but also the boundaries that others set for us as you just kind of step through. And whether we give ourselves permission to go past those boundaries to explore who we are as people, explore uncharted territory in a land that we perhaps have known our whole life, but that maybe is seen with a new pair of eyes considering who we're talking to as well. I think it's really interesting when I always enjoy going to visit new places and listening to locals talk about their favorite things about where they live and listening to it from their perspective. But they have told me sometimes that they enjoy hearing what I enjoy from my perspective because I'm, I'm seeing it with a new fresh pair of eyes. And what's really interesting to me about your book is that even though there are all these really <laughs> empowered women going through a, a similar struggle and, and really trying to come to terms with how they feel about this abduction of these two young girls. Not once do we feel like one pair of eyes is seeing more than another. They all have their own time to show us what it is that they're seeing and what they're struggling with. And it makes me think about how clever you were with the chapters in the sense that, as I said, each chapter is a month. Did you ever want to make the chapters the titles of the women's names themselves, or did you know that you wanted to be very purposeful with the fact that each chapter was the month of the year leading up to the anniversary of the girls being abducted? That's so funny that you asked that. Yeah, in the first few drafts of the book, each chapter was the woman's name, was how I sorted it. They still were months of the year. It was not noted as overtly. And when we decided to change it to months of the year, it was the simplest change. And it made a world of difference in the organization and structure and strength of the book. It just made the book easier to read and easier to track and created a kind of ticking clock momentum that was super helpful. So it was a choice that once we made became so clear in retrospect that that was the right one. What is interesting is that we don't see every single character, every chapter, but we do see some characters reappear and have more of a prominent story uh, in another chapter. But the chapters, uh, as I've said, 
explore how different women are feeling about the abduction of, of these um, young girls. And I don't know if it was maybe because I knew that it was this remote area of a peninsula of Russia, but for me it felt very much like I was sat around a campfire, you know, where stories are passed down by generations of storytellers and to learn more about the culture and learn more about the people that make up this peninsula and these different areas of the peninsula. Just would really love to know what aspects of storytelling you love the most when you're writing. It's, it's such a beautiful thing, storytelling, and it's so enormous and hard to wrap my head around it and magical to me that it is difficult to even begin to formulate an answer. I, I think, think I love every single thing about telling stories. I, I really cling to them. Certainly when I think about media, I love a good story. I love reading and watching movies and listening to musicals and you know and narratives are so thrilling and also there are so many stories that we tell ourselves or other people or hear about ourselves that shape our lives it, it seems to me like the most human sort of fundamentally human activity in a very beautiful and structuring way and in a way that can be really painful and challenging too no I, I think it's totally true I think that it is impossible to actually give a full answer I think as a reader or I imagine as a writer to give a full answer to that question and I like to ask it because every answer is different every person that I speak to that I'm lucky enough to speak to every answer to why they love storytelling and how important they think it is is different and I remember when you and I actually met it feels like ages ago when we were actually allowed to be in a room with somebody yes it was it was a whole lifetime ago it was a whole lifetime ago but you and I um had the good fortune to meet at the Texas Book Festival last October. And even though I hadn't read your book at that time, I remember we were kind of just talking about that, that exact thing. I think what's really interesting is that the evolution of storytelling is changing, but for the better, I think we now have access to so many incredible books. And I know that that probably has always been the case to, to past generations, but I feel kind of spoiled for choice now. There are so many people who identify with such beautiful storytelling. We, we need it in life now more than ever, I think. I love that. I do think there are so many, certainly from a book's standpoint, there are so many extraordinary books being published right now. And I hope, I'm, my fingers are crossed, that we'll only have more and more and more books and authors publicized but a word like storytelling is so big, and there are so many ways that stories have been told forever, it seems to me, that perhaps like we're more private or given less of an opportunity to be publicized, but we're still... Sometimes I'm not sure if storytelling is evolving as much as the publishing model, hopefully, is broadening and, and the platform for stories is getting more people on it. <laughs> but it seems like storytelling is something that has always been and will always be and that everyone in the world does with great skill since the beginning of time. Yeah, I agree. It's not a easy thing to be a storyteller, but when you can tell a story in such a beautiful way, you have definitely fans will appreciate everything that you write and that you create. There are just so many, and I cannot stress this enough to everyone listening, there are so many incredibly beautiful scenes in your book and one that made me I didn't cry the first time I read this scene because I was just such an awe of what you created but then I went back and read it again and I teared up and I don't know if it was because I had initially 
formed an opinion of this person through her initial part in the book. And then we have more of a, a chapter dedicated to her, and I'm talking about Valentina. And she goes to the hospital. Um, I'm not going to give away too much, but she goes to the hospital after she has a, a concerning doctor's visit. And there's a scene when she is asked to take off her clothes and to come to the surgery for the operation that she's going to have. And I am going to do a little bit of a spoiler because I just have to talk about the scene. She walks naked through the hallway towards the place where she's going to be operated on. And for me, this was just so incredibly powerful, especially because of the initial impression, and I'll put my hand up, that I incorrectly had of her, her nakedness symbolizing her vulnerability of going into the situation that she was about to encounter. And I think stripping herself of the judgment that other people had of her when she took off her clothes. And as she's walking down the hallway toward the unknown, it just made me think about how strong women are today and how much that symbolizes how we encounter and how we enter the unknown, quite frankly, physically and spiritually and emotionally naked. Um, and I was just wondering how you created this beautiful scene, especially because knowing that readers will have had their opinion of Valentina before this scene happened, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. You give the book so much credit and speak of it so generously, and that means an enormous amount to me. I, I don't think you had an incorrect impression of this character before. <laughs> I imagine you, you probably had a pretty spot-on impression of her. It is very interesting to me from a scene construction standpoint. When I think about the stories, the chapters in this book, would try to come up with start from a scenario like um, someone has unexpected surgery for example which is what happens to Valentina and then think about the character who would be most interesting or most rich or compelling to follow in that setting so you know who would be someone for whom unexpected surgery would be kind of the worst possible thing or the thing that they would least you know none of us want to get unexpected surgery but there are some people for whom that would be particularly difficult and i start constructing the character around that so you know, someone who is very, very controlling and who perhaps feels like physically superior, who feels in her body and in her self-conception that other people are weak or that other people have problems, but she is not weak and she has no problems. And that she sort of tells herself that story of herself over and over and over again in order to feel safe or okay or taken care of or, or stable. And then the situation of her going to the hospital becomes much more interesting because then it's not just a trip to the hospital, it's it's a totally destabilizing moment for her whole sense of self. That was really interesting to me and compelling and wonderful and satisfying to follow as a writer to build out this particular person and this particular situation and try to put myself in her skin and feel what it would be like to have this experience. And to have to watch and read and observe that it feels like you are walking alongside Valentina as she's going into that because by that point you are so curious and you are so shocked by what is happening to her. As you said, you've taken 
a plot line that when you first read about her, and I'm sure everyone listening is like, oh my gosh, what, what did you think about her? What's going on? <laughs> but you, you take that initial impression and sweep it under the rug because you were just, again, like I said, just in complete shock and so curious as to how this character is going to approach it because there's so much that she could have done. She could have just walked away from it, but she you know, walked into the unknown with, with such bravery. It was just so inspiring. And as I said, there are just so many beautiful scenes, so many beautiful characters. And also one of the things that I loved tremendously about this book was just how much I learned about the culture. For this one in particular, because I was so invested and so essentially hooked to this book, the the chapter with Yusha and Alyssa and Chandler and Ruslan. I think, I know I've said this to you before, I, I actually say all of the chapters are my favorite, so I'm sure you don't quite know which one to think of right now. But, um, <laughs> this one, I think I keep coming back to as my favorite. So this chapter, just to give a little bit of a, a synopsis, this chapter, these four characters, Yusha is at school, at university, and her boyfriend, Ruslan, is very, oh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say controlling. And she is in my eyes, a little bit catering to that, to his behavior, um, because she is, is comfortable. And even though he lives away and doesn't isn't at university with her all the time, she still essentially caters to his needs. And the dynamic between these four characters, even though they don't always associate all the time, they have little bits together and then some of them have more of a, a story together. It was as intoxicating to me as it was infuriating because of how the chapter ended, and I'm not entirely sure that I've forgiven you, Julia, with how that ended, but, um, but you know, that's fine, I'm sure we can talk about that another time, um, but it was, it was really hard to read because, let's just say, two characters don't end up getting together like I wanted them to, especially when you create such a chemistry, it's kind of uh, a little bit mean in a way, Julia, but anyway, <laughs> um, but um, essentially, Ruslan is that character that you you loathe, but also he, he serves a very important role in, in the chapter. It's interesting because it fed into this feeling of exploration, and especially with Chandler, who is a character that becomes very important to, to Yusha, and I just thought you were really clever with little details you're very clever with those aspects, but also just things like the name. So Ruslan means lion, and you know he definitely had a roar and had that presence over Yusha. And then Yusha means welcoming, which I thought was really lovely because she welcomes Chandler into her life. I think the balance between safety, even a, a precarious or challenging safety or stability, and unknown potential excitement or thrill, it's really hard to know which one is better. I'm just thinking as we talk about this, that saying the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. It, it's it's hard to leave what you know for what is unknown. And I think these characters' situation in that chapter is one of my favorites too. But their situation is particularly difficult for Susha. She's in what I would say is, is an abusive relationship or a toxic relationship. And she has been taught by her partner who, as you said, is very, very controlling, that it is her job and her role to kind of maintain the status quo or, or try to keep things as pleasant or try to keep things as, try to avoid risk or avoid danger as much as possible in order to keep him pleased and keep herself safe. And 
that is an incredibly challenging and common dynamic and one that is very hard to just really impossible to just sort of wake up one day and say, okay, you know what? Yesterday, everything was fine. Today, I am completely changed and totally different and I'm going to upend everything. You know, some people do upend everything and, and are able to sort of flip that switch all of a sudden. But for, I think, so many of us, it's a much slower process and much more painful to leave what we know for what we don't know. Yeah, I think I was just selfish and I wanted her to end up with someone else, but... Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think that's selfish at all. <laughs> and, you know, I may or may not have gone back to that chapter and been like, mm, maybe if I just reread it, maybe it will happen, and it didn't. <laughs> but, again, we wouldn't perhaps be talking about the impact that that chapter had on me if, okay, fine, Nicole, I'll give you what you want. <laughs> I'll let that character get with the other character. Then leads us on to another chapter, and this is two people who also don't get to end up with each other, but the thoughtfulness around it and the power that this duo has on these pages, Lada and Masha. So their chapter, which is New Year's Eve, extremely heartbreaking. You're very good at the heartbreaking part, Julia. Um, <laughs> and I mean that with the most sincere respect. And one of my favorite aspects of this chapter and how I kind of found it a little bit different than the others is this is a chapter where two people have come back together after a while of not seeing each other and there's a moment at the end they are just being essentially and they love each other so much but they know that they will never be able to be together the way that they want to and there was no one there at the end of the chapter to distract them it was literally just two women who have such a deep love for each other and there was really no need for them to look any further than the present so they knew that the future didn't have what they wanted so they didn't want to leave the present any sooner than they had to. It gave me chills. What did you enjoy the most about writing Lada and Masha and this chapter? And was it difficult, just like these characters, eventually having to say goodbye to each other, whether it was difficult, particularly for this chapter, for you to finish writing. There were lots of things I enjoyed about writing this chapter. Lada and throughout the chapter, but especially in the beginning, is, is quite drunk. And she's our focus character. She's the person whose point of view we're seeing out of. I really enjoyed the experience of writing her drunk at this party and um, playing with how to express that in the text. She is full of longing for and desire for and anger at her friend, you know, Masha, who she loves and has been in love with for a long time, but who left some years earlier and who she hasn't seen in, in a few years. And that particular quality, you know, that desire and that anger while she's in this adult state, that was a lot of fun to play with. It doesn't feel difficult to say goodbye to my characters because I don't think I am saying goodbye to them. I write down this peak at their lives, but I feel in my imagination like they existed before and exist after and like they keep growing and changing even when I'm not watching them. So they feel like they're there somewhere alive and even if I'm not in communication with them or writing about them, that life still seems to me to go on. It's a kind of, kind of magical thinking on my part, I guess, but it gives me great comfort. I was talking to folks on a book club the other day and someone said, oh, you know, I wish that we had gotten more of these particular characters. And I said, oh, well, you, you know, you can just make it up. It's just pretend. So you can just make up what happens to them. Whatever makes you feel good, you can make up. And then I realized as I said it, it sounds so flippant to just be like, <laughs> oh, you wanted more? Why don't you just make it up? But what I mean is that it gives me great joy and satisfaction after I put the pen down or, or you know, step away from my manuscript 
to continue telling myself the story of the characters. And I like that very much to keep on making it up. It, it makes me feel good. Whenever you want more, you can always just pretend. <laughs> but, but I think that's not as satisfying to say out loud than it as it is. <laughs> I think it sounds a little dismissive. I think what she actually was saying is, you better be getting on your sequel because right. <laughs> there's a way of being like, could you go back and make the book bigger or could you just write the sequel? That would be great. I love it. One of my favorite sections. It's just really powerful and I feel like it applies to each and every character. So you put something down or leave something you love and it can disappear. It seems so obvious, but yet so very painful to experience. We are then so lucky if we find it or have that thing, person, come back into our lives. What does loss or the fear of loss teach us, whether we read it from a book or whether we experience it in life? What do you feel that loss and the fear of loss teaches us? I think that being alive is experiencing loss and fearing loss. That's the nature of mortality, the nature of nothing is permanent, everything goes away. And I'm not sure what loss teaches us in particular, but but learning from or accepting or living with the experience of loss is necessary, certainly. Whatever we take from it, maybe we'll all take different things from it. That is so true. I think just to echo what you just said, like that is the perfect way, I think, to give that answer because whether it's a deeply profound loss, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a person, whether it's an animal, whether it's anything that we lose out of our life. The question that I then come back to is, is anyone ever really out of our life because of the impact that they have when they're in it? And whether it's for a chapter in our life or for an entire book, so to speak, <laughs> losses, it's a very subjective feeling. I just wanted to say, as you said, your characters are never really gone because they stay with us. And I could say that for, for the book because it never leaves you. And I'm so grateful for that. Thank you, Julia, for this incredible book that you've given us. Thank I, you so much for reading it. I want to take your beautiful book and I would like for you to imagine that it has been placed on a shelf. And I would love to know whether it's books that complement this book or just authors and books that you've admired for years. I would love to know what other books you would want alongside yours on the shelf. Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. And when I think of it on a shelf, I think of it sitting in admiration of so many of the books that I read that inspired it you know that the these masters that I'm obsessed with that make me want to write try to emulate what they do you know I think of a shelf of teachers in which I'm this student and I think about Alice Monroe Chekhov and Louise Erdrich who's one of my favorite writers of all time oh what a dreamy shelf <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah my favorite thing about that question is the different answers and there may be some crossover where some authors that I speak to have similar authors but it's just so great to hear all of the people that inspire you as you inspire other readers and other writers glowing reviews that you've had so I wanted to ask if people want to get in touch with you or to learn more about the book what's the best way for them to get in touch with you Oh gosh, they can get in touch with me on social media always. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And you can look for me, Julia Phillips, Phillips with two L's. And I have a website, juliaphillipswrites.com with my email address on it. A purely selfish question, but one I wanted to ask, is there anything you can let us know that you're working on at the moment that's to come? I'm working on a second book that 
has a lot of similar themes, but is set much closer to home, which is fantastic. Much easier to research for me. And I'm in my third trimester of pregnancy, so I'm working on a, a baby. Oh, that's so very exciting. So many wonderful things to look forward to this year and next year. That's so very exciting. Julia, I, I know I sound like a broken record, but I honestly cannot thank you enough for this. It has been such an immense privilege to talk to you about what inspired you, what inspired you to write this book. And for the 800th time this episode, I will just say an enormous thank you for writing this incredible book. It is one that I will treasure forever. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for reading. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. Thanks for listening to this episode of Shelf Life. I'd love for you to tell me what you thought of it, either on Twitter or Instagram, or by leaving a review on iTunes. Until next time, happy reading.